Hello, Kevin. Awesome. You guys are nerds. Damn right. Oh, Kevin, you're so witty. I would stab someone in the face. Oh, that's gross. I'm cutting this, by the way. The Had Philosophy, episode 117, recorded on March 20th, 2012. Minty Van. Hello, everyone. Welcome in. One, two, bad philosophy. Upsetting the balance of reality one rabbit trail at a time. We are back for episode 117. We're here with uh, one new guest, one person you haven't heard in a while, and one guy that's just reading webcomics before we start the show. Uh, and while we do the show. <laughs> while we do the show and after the show and pretty much any other time between shows. Uh, I am your host, Stephen Torrance, and uh, sitting next to me here in beautiful Austin, Texas, is Kevin Saunders. I thought you were going to say in beautiful stereo. No, because it's not in stereo. I mixed the show down to mono. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because stereo takes up twice the, the file size, so to make it more efficient to download, you mix okay. it in mono. Oh, and it sounds just as good. I, mean, I don't use the internet. I don't understand these things. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> um, then that, uh, that voice laughing in the background is one another new guest. This is, I guess, two weeks in a row that we've had new guests on the show, isn't it? Go us. Go us. It is uh, Matt Epperson. Am I pronouncing that right? That's correct. Cool. Matt, where do you hail from? Uh. Springfield, Missouri, mm. home of uh, home of Bass Pro Shops, and right next door to Branson. Yay! I've been to both of those things. Uh huh. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Not the Bass Pro Shops in Springfield, but I have been to a Bass Pro Shops. And Wait, what do you mean yeah. Bass Pro Shops? That particular Bass Pro Shops. Bass Pro Shops. Bass Pro Shops. You get <laughs> we go brass camping fishing. equipment, guns, camping equipment, camping equipment, camping equipment. We're just adding R's to things arbitrarily. Guns. Guns. Bass Pro. At Brass. Uh, pro. Oh, damn it! Pro already has an R in it. <laughs> pro. Oh no! The system is ruined. <laughs> uh, well, regardless, Matt, it's good to have you on the show. I, I was trying to. Trying to go back and see like exactly how this got started, but I think you you initially commented for the first time on our Wiki Sorry episode on Facebook. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. Okay. How long have you been a listener? I'd say at least a year, actually. Really? Cool. Yeah. I'm always curious about this that that we actually have people yeah, we, who we listen have to no, the show. Like, <laughs> we have very little feedback from anybody, right? Other so than your, my mother. Your comment was, yeah. Aside from Kevin's mother, one of the most you know biggest points of engagement we've had in a while. Um, but I'm still uh, not convinced we have listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But how I did mean, we find you, Kiki? I, I think we just tossed this into the ether. Exactly. And, um, nobody listens. So Matt, you are officially not a listener anymore. You are you are now by being on the show, you are now one of the bad philosophers. So that's one fewer listener yeah. to our Way to go, Stephen. <laughs> I know. I keep I diminish we our. We need uh... to stop asking people <laughs> on the show. <laughs> Right after this, I swear, Matt will be the last one. Um, but Matt, so so how did you first find out about bad philosophy? Uh, basically, just doing a uh, podcast search for philosophy, and you guys came up on the the iTunes store. Uh, yeah, it was probably initially off iTunes. I don't I don't like to use the iTunes program. It's, it seems like a little bit of a monolith, but you know. Okay. <laughs> But I guess we're also indexed by like Instacast and a few yeah, other well, I think databases. If you search philosophy podcast and Google will show up eventually. We're, we're one of the first results. My yeah. results will probably be biased because I'm signed in. Yeah. But uh, uh, no, no. I mean, um, 
we're not even on the first page with my personal search results. Way <laughs> oh, to go, I Google. know what it was, actually. <laughs> oh, there it, it is. Originally, originally, it was from iTunes, uh, the, what did they call it? iUniversity? iTunes oh, U. Oh, iTunes U. Yeah, yeah, we're on that. We yeah. are still on that, but it's the old episodes. Yeah, that nothing, it hasn't been updated in forever. Since like episode 20 or something. Yeah. I think it was more than that. We had 50 or so on there. Did but. we? Okay. But yeah, that was back when, a uh, funny story, <laughs> um, back when Texas Tech needed content for iTunes U. And yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> we generate content. We generate content on a weekly or, or bi-weekly basis, and uh and so the guys were great, and here's our FTP access, and just put all of your stuff right here. And by the way, where's episode seven? <laughs> you know all that stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I had, that was I, I couldn't explain it in any way that didn't sound completely unprofessional. <laughs> so I was just like, uh, you know, it, we never recorded one. We just we just skipped it. <laughs> I recorded an episode. <laughs> you did. It's the last time I actually like was the only host on the show yeah. ever. That was it. Was you, Peyton, and somebody? Uh, else, Michael right? was there. Yeah, and some girl. Peyton was that. Yeah. Was that Peyton that Matt okay. was friends with? At yes, the time. and Matt was on it. Yeah, yeah. But it's it sounds garbled as hell. But anyways, we're not here to talk about ourselves as as much as we do enjoy doing that. Um, we're actually here to talk we about. <laughs> no. Oh, by the way, I, I forgot to introduce you, Kiki. Welcome back to uh, to Bad Philosophy. I don't need an introduction. Everybody knows who the hell I am. Totally. Um, how you been, all things considered? Uh, all things considered, all right. I took my uh, my GRE to get into grad school. Cool. I uh, I made it in the 90th percentile in my verbal and the 49th percentile in my math. <laughs> so it's a good it's a good thing my program doesn't need a math score. Excellent. You're trying to get into uh, <laughs> linguistics, right? Uh, actually, I'm going to English because it's the closest thing the school has. So. Ah, nice. Well, good luck with that. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, right. Um, so the topic of today is a article. I, I can't remember where this showed up. I might have gotten it from io9 originally, which usually posts very derivative content, but um, this this time Only had something... Only posts derivative content, <laughs> I'll be honest. It's, a, it's one of those, one of them are content aggregators uh, and not much else, that but... That exists solely to generate page views. Yeah, pretty much. I, but they do have, uh, occasionally, they, they do have some good links, and this one was to uh, an article on this or that, which I have never gone to before. It looks like another content aggregator, honestly. Um <laughs> But it's by a guy named uh, Benjamin Chabot Hanwell. It was written uh, April of last year, so it's almost a year old. Uh, but, you know, relatively timely content. We've got the uh, the new Batman movie, the new Dark Knight uh, Rises movie coming out uh, later this year, right? Summer? Sometime soon? And the Avengers movie, of course, coming up soon. Anyways, the, the, the general thoughts of the public are starting to shift back into the, the superhero, the big-budget superhero movies. Mm. And uh, this particular article um, basically makes an argument in favor of the um, positive impact or the, almost the necessity of having a Joker-like character, not just in these fantasy worlds, but in society in general. Um, so I'll kind of spend the first uh, you know, couple minutes here summarizing the article, uh, but I would highly suggest you all pause it right here and then go read the article. It's in our show notes. Actually, pause it here, because if they pause it what you said here, then they won't know what to do because oh, you didn't finish the right. instructions. <laughs> so, yeah, go read the article and then pause the episode now. <laughs> 
Welcome back. Wasn't that a great article? Okay, well, <laughs> you're about to hear a summary of it anyway. Um, so, so Benjamin uh, is writing about an article that was published in the Journal of Theoretical Biology, uh, where a bunch of, let's see, two mathematicians and a physicist uh, they use a mathematical model to show how destructive agents, which they call jokers, can help people avoid the tragedy of the commons. Um, tragedy of the commons being where uh, basically we have a bunch of people producing uh, goods that everyone can enjoy, but then eventually free riders who can enjoy the benefits of everything without producing them or paying for them take over and just kind of sap all of the um, all of the benefits from everybody. Woohoo! So these these jokers they call are kind of a necessary character in uh, society. Now they list two other kinds of characters, kind of kind of spell out two other people in these scenarios that the um, that the scientists were um, were evaluating, and it's uh, it's heavily based on game theory. Um, they t- he talks a little bit about the Nash equilibrium, which is kind of the the um, the point at which everyone is making the best choices in a, a given scenario, given the choices that everybody else can make mm-hmm. and and the conditions in that scenario. You um, see, it, you see it in like the prisoner's dilemma. It's, yes, is a real common one. Which I don't know if we've talked about this before. We've never we've never explicitly talked. We were going to get no, into with your jury thing, but we and, and I'd that. like to, to talk about that a little. I mean, right now, potentially. No, I mean, okay. Maybe we'll get it, to it if it comes up in know. the future. Um. Listen to this episode <laughs> after we listen to that other episode where we talk about the prisoner's dilemma. Mm. You might recognize uh, the Nash equilibrium from John Nash, who was played by Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind. We connection he makes, and also uh, comments that his wife was apparently just as hot as Jennifer Connelly, which I completely disagree with him about. But you know, for the 1950s, she was pretty pretty fine. Anyways, uh, back to philosophy. <laughs> uh, so he talks about the 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 kind of the game theory background behind what these scientists are doing. And then the other two characters that they put into their, what they call the public goods scenario. Um, so we got uh, jokers are what they call, uh, let's see, crazy sadistic bastards who care nothing about the group benefit. Um, so they destroy things. That sounds like what my ex's mother called me one time. <laughs> Joker? <laughs> or just a crazy sadistic bastard? No, she 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 called me a a psychopathic bitch who cared about no one but herself or something like that because we we disagreed on where to put a chair in my house ah yes you destructive (laughs) little thing well i have good news for you you are uh, necessary to the to the free function of society more on that in a bit um we also have the other two characters cooperators um who are kind of the generators of benefit they um, they're not the nice guys, the, the you know the farmers, the producers. Schmucks. They're the yeah, they're the, the schmucks. Then we've got the, the final category, the defectors. Um, these are the freeloaders. These are the the guys who basically sit back and take all the benefits that the cooperators generate, uh, but don't necessarily destroy them. They're not malicious. They're just sort of passive. Um, as an example, he has a picture of Lloyd Blank Fine, um, who's I. Th- I think one of the Goldman Sachs executives. I, I have you know, no idea. Something like that. Well, basically, one of the guys who testified during the whole, you know, the, the hearings after the two ni- 2008 financial crisis. So, and he lists um, kind of these these three possible outcomes that result that that are uh, examined by the scientists in their uh, scenarios. Um, the first of which is that without in a society without jokers, defectors do better than cooperators, which makes everyone on average worse off. 
uh, and he has a little parenthetical, and which is why you should really reconsider your political stance if you are a staunch fiscal conservative, which yeah. Kevin has a comment on in a little bit. Um, second possible outcome, if you include jokers in the mix, here's the first thing that can happen. Suppose being a lone cooperator in a population of maniacal jokers is a good thing, because you produce a sizable benefit for yourself, and uh, the jokers aren't that good at destroying it. And I, I, I kind of, I'll come back to that, because that part didn't quite make sense to me. So then he says, here's what happens. First, say cooperators are most common. There's, you know, majority of cooperators in this scenario. Um, you get a few defectors, and they slowly start to take over because you know they, they're you know freeloading, and more and more people get the idea that you can freeload, and so eventually the defectors take over. Now the jokers beat out the defectors because they brazenly destroy whatever benefit is generated by the small number of remaining cooperators. It's much easier for them to just kill all of the resources that everybody has. So then finally, cooperators take over again because they do better than jokers. Um, who don't enjoy the public good. So I guess, you know, there are no benefits for anybody, so the population reduces, and then finally you get cooperators growing and growing and growing again, and then, you know, you go through this cooperator, defector, joker cycle. Then uh, in the final outcome, number three, suppose instead that jokers are really good at destroying stuff, so that being a lone cooperator in a population of jokers doesn't pay. In this case, jokers take over, beating out both cooperators and defectors, ensuring perpetual chaos and mayhem. So it's like they've um, they've set different conditions in these different outcomes, um, and that kind of affects how the you know the powers of these various characters play out. You doing all right, Matt? Yeah, you blanked out for a second there, but okay, weird. <laughs> um, but we're good now. Yes. Okay. So. As he goes through all of this, um, the kind of obviously he, he says, think about it though. Scenario two is more likely than scenario three. If it weren't, I bet we would at this moment be living in complete chaos. So, kind of based on the conditions that are out there, he then he then kind of goes and talks about, well, all right, in scenario two, we have to realize that the, you know there's a cost for punishment, right? Um, as as I understood it, the the idea is that. Uh, characters like Batman in that, you know, yes, they have the power to punish uh, defectors and uh, jokers alike, but at great cost to their own sanity, right? And this is this is sort of a, a theme that's brought up in, uh, in The Watchmen, right? Is this, you know, the, the fact that there almost need to be these random elements, because ultimately, you know, if you, if you punish all of the, de- the defectors, it's just, it's a horrible burden on these, these few people, um, and, you know, they, they may become unstable elements themselves, but that if you allow there to be a couple of jokers out there, and for there occasionally to be a, a, a harm, a chaotic, you know, revolt, revolt of some kind, yeah, or, you know, a, uh, um, a destructive act against uh, the, the cooperators of society and the defectors alike, mm-hmm. that everybody sort of, um, as he says, circles the wagons and pulls together. And so it almost eliminates the need for superheroes entirely is, is kind of one way that you could go for it. Yeah. You know, or at least for the idea of, of superheroes who punish the, the defectors and, we, and, and so forth. we use the um, example of The Dark Knight as mm-hmm. sort of our example... We can think about one of the great scenes in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, spoilers, because you should have seen this already. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, the but scene where there, there are the two bombs on the two boats. One full of prisoners, one full of not prisoners. Yes. Um, and the Joker's like, one of you gets to blow up the other. 
It doesn't matter which. It doesn't matter which. Yeah. Um, you both have the ability to do it. Mm-hmm. And that actually is the prisoner's dilemma, in a way. Yes, it it's is. A, it's, a, um, it's a variation on that. And but sort of with, with so, actual prisoners, with actual yeah. prisoners. <laughs> hey. So with that, I mean, with that situation, they both deal with it in a way that um, is mutually that, that is, Well, it's mutually and, and backs up sort of what he's saying that this yes. element of chaos does, in fact, you know, make us better people. It brings out the best. It brings out the best, and it, it encourages those to come back together for the public good. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was, you know, a fascinating thing to think about. I want to, I want to go ahead and turn it over to our guests here now. Um, Matt, you had some some thoughts initially, right? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I guess my main problem was it seemed like it was an oversimplification. I mean, I was looking for links to where he gets his information. Well, the, uh, the full article is behind a paywall, unfortunately, because it's a, oh, okay. it's, a, it's in the Journal of Theoretical Biology, which is behind you know all the Lexis Nexus. If you have access to a you know library database, usually university database mm-hmm. access, but we don't anymore. From the abstract, it looked like it had a lot of math in it, <laughs> and yeah. I, I really think that that I you know I agree with you. I mean, in what in what ways do you think it was it was probably lacking? Well, I mean, you have to ask where these different people come from. You know, like, uh, how do you get uh, jokers? You know, it seems to me that usually you get a joker from somebody who was raised in a very abusive situation. So it kind of makes well, the whole... Well, not necessarily. I mean, I think, okay. I think psychopaths, like clinical psychopaths, make incredibly good jokers. Mm-hmm. Because people they, that are they just inherently crazy to care, right? Yeah, they, you... well, I mean, I'm not sure it's crazy because they're usually very logical and very rational, hmm. which kind of differs from art. But they don't have the emotional tie to the world. Oh, so no, I, I do they, think, they, yeah, I, I see so what you're they, saying. They could go either way with with either the the you know jokers or the. Uh, Defectors. Well, I kind of don't want to get into it. Depends on whether or not whether or not they want to go more selfish and just sit back and ride, or whether they they get more fun out of messing with other people. Hmm. Well, continue the thought, though, Matt. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I guess I was just thinking of uh, maybe I've just watched too many movies. All the characters in the movies come from you know the psychopaths in movies usually come from. (laughs) From an abusive home. So. Mm-hmm. Or something uh, along those lines, yeah. Right, right. I mean, yeah, I guess there are people that just have, uh, you know, certain mental states that they're born with. But uh, I guess, I guess what, like, okay, one of the other thing was, is he seems to allude to the fact that cooperators uh, will, there'll be less and less cooperators as, as you get more and more defectors. And I couldn't quite, yeah. I couldn't quite figure out why that would be. Well, look at, so he points to, he points to the U.S. financial sector, like right, like when he's when he's um, laying out the different characters. Let's see here. Um, his, his here's his description from the from the article. Defectors say, "F that." They sit back and enjoy the group benefit without paying a cost. Uh, for example, the financial industry. Most of the people you work with, and probably you too, which I thought was kind of coy of him. Um, for you DC universe nerds, you can think of defectors as the organized crime of Gotham. And the city officials they've bought. Lex Luthor is another mm-hmm. example. So these are the 
The defectors are like the people who have chosen to exploit the creative work of others for their own benefit. Oh. To live off of... I mean, because you think about it, like a mafia, right? They they live off taxes, essentially. You know, the, the strong-arming of uh, legitimate shopholders who are doing legitimate business. Mm-hmm. The financial sector is essentially legalized mafia. I mean, all they, all they do is shuffle money around in creative ways that nobody understands that makes them better off. Yes and no. Yes, that, that's what happened that led to our current situation. That's not solely what the financial sector does. Uh, the, the extremely profitable financial sector that arose after the 1980s and then the 1990s, okay, that... which, which pretty much everybody associates, I think, with, with just the idea of the financial sector, financial yeah. services, you know, right? Yeah. Um, which, which it's an extremely meta game, and it's intentionally obscure to make it sort of a, um, an exclusive club, to make it sort of an elite class, of people that really, I mean, all really all they do is just, you know, look at Bernie Madoff, for example, took, you know, the oldest trick in the book, mm. put a thousand layers of abstraction above it, you know, and, and, and ran that con on people for millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. So it's, you know, that, that's the idea of the, the defector, I think, is just that, that person who, who just leeches off of everybody else mm-hmm. and doesn't actually produce anything of their yeah. of, of value on their own. And I can kind of see the rise of defectors decreasing the number of cooperators. Mm-hmm. Well, because at this point, everybody wants to be a defector. I mean, it's what, you know, Mitt Romney's running on the, you know, I think everybody should be part of the 1%. And I'm thinking, did what? you never take basic math? Yeah. I mean, look how look how low I scored in math, and I still understand not everybody can be in the top 1%. Well, that's that's the, you know, yeah, and, and that's the idea of this scenario, right, mm-hmm. is that if you, if you eventually, if everybody's a freeloader, Eventually, the cooperators get overloaded and cannot anymore support everyone. Yeah, I mean, is that um, are, was that roughly what you were thinking, Matt? I don't know. I'm just still not. I'm not so sure about this whole thing. I mean, it's like I said. I think it, it seems oversimplified. When I think about people, I don't think of them neatly falling into one of these three categories. Yeah, and I, think right. that, I think it's a real good point, is that, you well, know... The, the, but game theory, I think, by very definition, has to be, has to simplify to a point. Yes, it misses a lot of, a lot of complications out there, but it's interesting to note that in, in, in this way of simplifying society, this is what kind of, yeah. this is what can well, happen. Yeah, game theory is really good for games. <laughs> it does not apply, and, and this is just my experience, it does not apply to societies in the way that game theoreticians would like it to. Mm. Um, being, well, for think... example, the, um, the, the Monty Hall paradox. Which is? Uh, the, 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 um, not the price is right, but um, <laughs> let's make a deal. Uh-huh. Um, on let's make a deal, you know, you, you've got, here's three doors, pick one, and you say, okay, we're going to open one of the other doors that doesn't have a prize behind it. Only mm-hmm. one door has a prize. Would you like to change your vote? Pick one of the other two doors. You know, right. switch, switch from the one you have to the other one that we didn't open. And in game theory, the, the rational choice is to always switch. Hmm. Um, and I, there's math behind that. That doesn't really matter. If you want to go find the Mythbusters clip where they actually do it and prove it without using math, just by running through the numbers, 
it is always better to switch. Huh. Um, however, almost everybody doesn't switch. Hmm. They, they're conservative. They keep what they have. They keep what they yeah. have. Yeah. Um, for a number of potential reasons, you know, they, they say, well, I'm being offered to switch. That means I must have the right one. Mm-hmm. Or I'm confident in my choice, so I'm going to stick with it. Right. Um, and it's sort of a how people are perceived sort of a thing. You know, I'm going to be seen as weak if I change or, you know, I'm going to be flimsy, a flip-flopper. Right. Um, and so, you know, yeah, that's, game theory tells you to do one thing, but people don't do that because they're not <laughs> rational. Uh, which is something that he brings mm. up and sort of saying this evolutionary game theory, which is not something I've heard of before. You don't have to have rational people, but really you kind of do. Well, no, I mean, if you look at, you know, the work of, like, Stephen Levitt, etc., they are, people can be predictably irrational. And yeah. that's, that's kind of what, what the Jokers are in this case, I think, is, is they're the people that you can, you can rely on to, you know, to shake things up, right? You know, in, in a kind of a, a predictable, regular way, you know, that for, for a society... A given number of times in a certain certain time period, you will have these kind of random acts of violence, mm-hmm. and it, it keeps everybody on their toes. I think is the idea. And bear mm. with me. So okay. I can see, I can see where the the final point makes sense. The and and the central point is that you know we need jokers around to have those random acts of violence because they result in a, in the benefit they, of. They force people to work together be better. <laughs> right. Well, they force us to, to come together, mm-hmm. to, to cooperate, right? It's, it's not good for the defectors um, if there are jokers blowing up the only things that they can get resources out of. So in their own, acting out of their own self-interest, mm-hmm. they naturally go become cooperators or they work with cooperators <laughs> in order to... Which, and by working with cooperators, they have become cooperators. Become cooperators, right? <laughs> right. In order right. to address okay. the immediate threat of the of the jokers, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think is a perfect example. Uh, terrorist attacks, right? So we we have this war on terrorism, right? But sure. is is the war on terrorism actually misguided in its very nature? Do we benefit from random acts of terrorism? Because look at look at well, the, that's again how you define mm. benefit. Well, wow. think of think of the cohesion that the nation had after nine eleven. The, the, what did, the what did psychological that accomplish? It uh, well, it was wielded improperly, right? Because I think you have <laughs> you almost have these like there, there's another category that we're missing here, and it's it's these super cooperators. You know, I wouldn't call politicians defectors. I wouldn't call them jokers, and I really wouldn't call them cooperators. You know, the rulers of a society have like I'd this, call them detractors. Detractors, yeah. <laughs> uh, Little I would call them there. defectors. You think, yeah. you think politicians are defectors? True, because I mean and they do the way the way we have them now. Yes. Yeah, I, I, but I, I think at the beginnings of of a society, like after a, a cycle, which I think is, I mean, we do this all the time with you know with revolutions and. You know, breaking away, you know, countries breaking away from each other or having mm. revolts and, you know, internally. I think it it just, I mean, that's kind of what, you know, look at the French Revolution. You know, eventually they had too many detractors, I mean, de- defectors in the uh, the ruling class. Right. You know, and so eventually the cooperators just became jokers. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the thing is that people I mean, can't they, shift they acted categories. as. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. 
And, so, and I, I think I think that any person can be any of those things given the right circumstance. Right. You know, there was a there was an argument in here to, to kind of bring it back to the the kind of the, the comic book origins that we we started in. <laughs> Um, in the world of the Watchmen, and you've you've read the Watchmen, Kevin. I've, it's, it's just Watchmen, by the way. Watchmen, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Matt, have you read it, uh, or at least seen the film? Bits and pieces, and watched the movie. Okay. The film's enough to to talk about at least at to this get point. It. Um, right. The uh, so Ozymandias and Doctor Manhattan. You know, are both spoilers. These sort of, yeah. Just throwing it out there. Well, obviously, I mean, <laughs> okay, I mean, the it's comics been thirty years. Yeah, if you I know. Read it, you deserve spoilers. You, no, I'll, I'll be honest with you. If you haven't read it, you need to go read it, yeah. or at I least see the movie. That, but... And I'm, but no, Kiki, I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion that in this case, and I'm okay with spoiling a lot of things. This is one of those things that should not be spoiled. Okay, because it is such an excellently crafted story. And you can you can appreciate yeah. it reading it again because I've read it probably four or five times I, easily. I agree. Um, so but I just I just think there's there's a time limit on you know there's a statute of limitations. On I know there is. No, that's fair. Well, but and, and, I would like someone to experience it the first time. And, and but the ending of of the Watchmen or you know one of the the, the conclusory parts of it mm. is central to this argument. Yes, it kind of goes and, and I'm okay talking about it. Okay, but that's what I'm saying. I'm putting a spoiler warning ahead of it mm-hmm. because someone should go experience. So it. So the way that it, it fleshes out the sort of this. Um, Uniting event in mm-hmm. the Watchmen or in Watchmen, what 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 is the the epilogue right of that of that scenario? What what does society do with their nine eleven? Well, the idea being is that they unite against a common enemy. Yes, which is what this is is presented as. Mm-hmm. It's you know we've been attacked by an external threat, a, an external threat in air quotes because it's mm-hmm. not it's it's orchestrated. Right, but. Mm-hmm. That is the goal of that, although the, the the book itself is a little more ambiguous as far as whether or not the success will last, mm-hmm. or if we'll need another Ozymandias here in 20 years to do things again. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, a lot of politicians have been saying, you know, it wouldn't be that bad if we had another 9-11, and they've gotten really ridiculed <laughs> for that. Yes, because, but, that's how, because of how they phrased it. Yes. Yeah. It would be bad, yes. But it would also have potential good consequences. Well, I mean, and we, we can look back at but the U.S. history. But also potential bad consequences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we can look at U.S. I mean, history, and it's it's real easy to have, you know, the Red Scare, is to have that, that real clear enemy, the Red Scare, the mm-hmm. Nazis before them. Yeah. Um, Cuba. I Cuba mean, at one point. I mean, yeah. so having these sorts of Soviet clear, Russia was for 30 years, you know. Defining sort of things that we can... As a as a country, unite against, or mm-hmm. as a world or a society, unite against um, that things become things become a lot easier. Which is something that nine eleven did for a short period of time. It, yes. it has since become much more multifaceted. I think because we live in a postmodern world, mm-hmm. and we don't we're not going to have singular threats like we used to. Right. Um, if only, the, and, and here's the thing: like the the Joker's in these in these comics, and the enemies of old mm-hmm. seem to be much more easily defined. Yeah, you know, you could you could point to a place, or you could point to an idea. Here's here's that someone you were intentionally causing destruction, expecting mm-hmm. no good to come of it. Right, but it's much more. Well, you maybe even couldn't point to a, an idea. Uh, before and and now it's you can only point to ideas. Yeah, we don't have concrete examples, and sometimes not even that. Yeah, which I think goes to Matt's idea of this is perhaps an oversimplification. Yeah, 
Is, so, is that what is that what you would say, Matt? I'm just I don't want to speak for you. Well, I mean, I well, let me put it this way. Okay. If, if game theory is um, uh, what I'm thinking, it is. There's there's an idea in like oh god what is it? Uh, uh, say some keywords. Very words. small things are. Sorry. Throw throw some keywords out there. <laughs> Let's see if we can right, this Google. <laughs> I don't know why, but my brain froze up shortly after we got on this, so it's not functioning fully. Um, <laughs> don't worry. So anyway, normal. our brains freeze up too. Thermodynamics. Just, thermodynamics. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, you have. Uh, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle where you don't know if something's going to be spin up or spin down. Mm -hmm. uh, but generally that stuff is kind of, it's a lot of noise and it just kind of balances out over all mm -hmm. so that you don't see these huge random events happening. It all evens out. I'm wondering if with something like game theory, if it kind of plays out the same way where you have individuals that are both jokers and defectors and uh, uh, cooperators. Uh, Cooperators, cooperators. Yeah. they could be that at any one time, but it kind of evens out in the same way. And in that sense, it might be perfectly valid, you know, rather than being simplified. Does you that make any sense? Yes. It makes sense to me. Hmm. Um, I'm almost seeing it sort of, maybe from, from where you're jumping off on it, I almost see sort of a, to make an astronomy analogy, a Copernican? No, not Copernicus. Um, I, I don't remember who the astronomer was, but sort of we're <laughs> we're seeing these. I could probably tell behaviors. You. Uh, maybe Brahe, but the other one that was along the same time. <laughs> My astronomy is not super great, but of you know the idea that when we were trying to understand how planets worked in space, we still had the Earth-centric view of the world. And we kept creating these wheels within wheels. And if you ever go Google oh, pictures of it. Yeah, retrograde motion. Retrograde motion yeah, and sort of dealing with that. It was, it was sort of this trying to attach a, a, a way of understanding these sorts of things that were happening using the, the viewpoints that we had. And we were starting from the wrong premises and we just kept getting more and more complicated. And I kind of feel that's almost what's happening at this situation. We start with the prisoner's dilemma. Yeah. We start with rational beings. We say, well, that doesn't match up with what people are doing. Well, let's say we have irrational beings. Yeah. <laughs> and is that closer to what we're doing? Well, yeah, it's a little yeah, bit closer to what we yeah. see. Okay, well, let's add, you know, add something, yeah. a, a fourth thing beyond the jokers and these mm -hmm. other three. And, and I feel like maybe we keep trying to get closer and closer to whatever reality is and make the math better well, when, in fact, we're starting with the wrong premises. I think I think that's just modeling in that's general. That's the Earth-centric. Like, okay, so we're we're, and I think I think perhaps, and I don't I don't know game theory. And I, probably, I could probably insult some game theoreticians by saying mm -hmm. this, but perhaps game theory is the wrong premise to start with for dealing with societies like this. Well, all okay. all game theory is is a scientific and mathematical analysis of decisions given conditions, mm -hmm. which which is almost entirely assumes rationality. It assumes people making decisions based on conditions. Well, it has, it has in, to in assume that there is such way. a thing as rationality. Yes, but it, it can also account for irrationality the same way that mathematics can account for random events mm -hmm. and and um, you know can can shuffle numbers and and you know you can you can build in percentage probability of irrational choices you know of, of people not making decisions based on uh, conditions. So you can you can build you can build irrationality into the model. 
So you don't have to necessarily assume rationality yeah. um, or assume that there is a thing such as rationality. But you can, you can look at it, and maybe that's where evolutionary game theory comes in. I forget exactly how he defines it, but you know, trying to, to work out the mechanisms of the human mind and then model how those mechanisms interact with, with the world. Um, it, has, you know, it has resulted in some you know, great strides in, in various fields, of course. You know, the, the Nash equilibrium comes up in so many different places that it's, it's astounding. You know, the, this you know, idea of decisions or you know, outcomes based on conditions given certain um, factors. You can, you, can, you can see that in every field of science almost. Um, and in, in, in a modeling society, it's very difficult, though, because of the, the very wide variety in human thought and decision, mm-hmm. I think. But this is an interesting idea because we see so many examples of it and because we see it come up in, in, our, in literature and in our, in our examinations. Yeah, I, mean, I definitely see it a lot, which is, which is telling us it's not a new idea. Right. It isn't a bad thing. It doesn't have to be new. But it's just been mathematically, I guess, proven? or Supported. The, the, and, you know, I agree with, with all of y'all. It would be great if we could actually read the source text and examine it. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, little rabbit trail here. How do y'all feel about, you know, these scholarly articles being behind a paywall? I have my answer, as usual. Let's start with Kiki. You haven't said anything in a while. <laughs> I mean, it, it, they um, wanted to charge 39 bucks for me to just read this one article. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is, uh, I think, kind of like as with most creative content, and, you know, academic work follows into that. Um, uh, you know, I think we're we're having trouble now figuring out how to to monetize it properly, mm-hmm. and so you know, yeah, I you know I am kind of all for information kind of always being free, but at the same time, you know, it's like people worked hard on this and they need to eat, and you know, so I'm I don't know, I I really I kind of my first instinct is to really hate paywalls. But, yeah, I but also are scientists? Want people to... I I don't think scientists are subsisting on the money that they make from LexisNexis sales of their no. articles. That's <laughs> not know? the issue, right? Um, you know, LexisNexis is subsisting on the. I mean, essentially, yeah. they're a content distributor, yeah. and their well, content and is scientific papers. Much of. I mean, it's not like at least in my experience with academia, the research isn't fund on a per case basis a lot of time. You have a scientist mm-hmm. in a university or, or a professional in the university, an academic in a university who is paid and it's their job to research and produce these sorts of papers. Right. But not on sort of a pay- case by case basis. It's mm-hmm. more of a salaried position. Yeah. Um and now if they don't produce then they've got problems and you yes, know, that's but it's, it, it's all it's all you know, to use a phrase that I learned only recently, blue dollars. You know, it's all sort of shuffled around within the organization, and there's no there's no direct supporting of scientists by buying papers. That's just not how it works. And so, right. as a result, there's you know there are again these layers of abstraction between the information and the compensation for the production of the information. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in this case, wouldn't it be better to have the idea out there getting discussed and to have the information available for evaluation by everyone? You know. Yeah. With, with the ability in, in a perfect in right. a perfect world, yes. And we're seeing some of that. I mean, but mm-hmm. here's here's yeah. my answer that the way I've sort of come down on this sort of issue. If it's privately funded research, 
it is perfectly within their rights to keep the results private. Yeah. And they can do that. And I, I, don't, I don't have a desire to stop them. But here's the thing. What am I going to do with the research? I'm not a scientist. I'm not in a position to write papers or make decisions for a company or do but anything. But if you make like it this. accessible, it's accessible by everybody. Yeah. And so that's if, if, there's, or if there are things in there that you want to keep, either you don't publish it or you publish it and, and charge for the privilege of reading it. Yeah. That being said, as soon as government money comes into play, it should be accessible to any citizens mm. or resident aliens or anybody who's paying into the tax system. Right. These and are... so every university there is, every public university there is, is putting out research papers, and those are funded by my money. And thus partially. I should, partially, but yeah. I mean the fact that they're funded by the public money. Mm-hmm. And so the public should have access to them. It's the same well, here's reason. The thing. The, and these are not... These are not even U.S. researchers, though. These are well, yeah. researchers in uh, Barcelona, in Tarragona, mm-hmm. and in uh, Madrid. Yeah, so Spain. So, yeah, these are Spanish mathematicians mm-hmm. and scientists publishing in an American journal. Well, and again, an international it's journal, where, the, where, you know, where is the funding for the journal coming from? Is it all solely user-supported? Is, yeah. it, is it government-funded? And, 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 yeah, the international, internationality issue makes that a little more complex. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there, there is the CBC in Canada, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, is almost entirely funded publicly in that people are forced to pay for it, whether they want it or not. Yeah. But then they lock all of their stuff away so the citizens who are paying for it can't get it except through mm-hmm. more payments. Um, Doctor has wow. been talking about that in other places, sort of the, the issues with that... You know, if you're paying for it with public money, the public has a right to access. Mm-hmm. Um, so could I, could I like, use the Freedom of Information Act to get a paper from a public university out, of, out from behind a paywall? Um, I bet you could. <laughs> It'd be a lot of work. It would be a lot of work. You'd be better yeah. off going to the library or where it's housed. paying 40 bucks. Or paying for it. Yeah. But going to the library... Most of these journals are on the shelves. You can just pick them up and read them. Yeah, that's true. So, and nobody's going to stop you from walking into a library and reading a journal. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. If that, if that library has it. A lot if, of libraries pay for these subscriptions. Yes, so. and a lot of them have them online. But a lot of, but a lot of libraries also will have hard copies of a lot of journals. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because you can go pick it up and read it. Any, uh, any final thoughts on this before we move into the form spring, folks? I guess I wanted to, I mean, Kiki's diffused this argument a little bit by saying, you know, okay, well, I'll say what it is. Uh, I find a a little bit of an ethical dilemma with this. Mm -hmm. Um, That would be if you're assuming that jokers are people who uh, have been traumatized and that's what's led them to To be be destructive. And you're almost saying, we... Yeah, we need abused people in our system to make our system healthy. That's yeah, and that's that in and of itself is kind of an ethical dilemma. Yeah, mm. how does how does one become a joker? And and sure, there are there are naturally occurring psychopaths. Yeah, but there are lots of reasons to become a joker beyond that. Yeah, um, even the Joker himself has multiple origin stories um, mm-hmm. in the DC Comics universe. What are always, his origin stories? Um, by the, way? the various ones. Um, the Killing Joke is sort of the um, the official one, and it's about how one guy had an absolutely terrible day, and it made him the Joker. And oh. I'm not going to ruin it for you, but you can go read it. Okay. Um, I haven't read it in a while, so I don't remember all of it. But um, 
I think that wasn't Alan Moore. That was um, oh, who wrote the Killing Joke. I'll look it up. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I you know you're right. I think Matt, it's it centers around. You then get into a question of nature versus nurture. It is Alan Moore. Alan um, Moore wrote that. Yeah. Oh, okay. But yes, yeah, and sort of that that issue of you know, okay, well, if it's important to have these destructive people, what about the consequences of their destruction? Mm-hmm. And and how do right. we get those destructive people? And is is it morally right to create jokers mm-hmm. if it's for the greater good? Well, and and I don't even know if the argument is that. Is that we why we had George Bush W? <laughs> oh God, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think the argument though is to create jokers. It may just be against the destruction of jokers or against the punishment of jokers and defectors. Mm. Right. Okay. That's that seemed to be more what the, where the article was going. Um, just sort of more like let them be, you know, let a certain amount of, of really destructive crime happen. But I don't think a lot of people would be too I mean, happy you, with the idea. You're not going to sell that argument. Yeah. Well, but here's the thing. I mean, we've never really, you know, if you look at areas where um, the police force has, you know, is, is overstaffed, you, you have this very complacent society, this very, you know, I would say vulnerable mm. society. Right, where in areas where right. there is just you know zero crime, where there's a police officer for every five people or something like that, you know that that the you know the enforcement of the law is absolute. It's it really, you know, it gets people unused to the idea of crime and almost you know complacent, right? Because you know no crime, nothing to be afraid of, no no real reason to cooperate, right? Because God, there's nothing threatening your ability to get uh, your livelihood at that point. Um, I, I wonder kind of how they, the scenarios flesh themselves out. It, yeah, it, there's a lot yeah. of there is a lot of uncertainty to it. I think the most we can say is it's it's an interesting concept. In this particular article, the math worked out a certain way that yeah. got this guy and thinking I, about I'm, that. But I'm well, pretty sure there would be more than just the three possible outcomes he's talked about here. I, yeah. I think. Well, even in scenario two, there are kind of like two versions of that. Yeah. You know, what if the Jokers can overcome the cooperators? And what so, if they can't? And, you, know, you know, but it's both yeah. both ideas, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think... It was, I, I think the bigger ethical dilemma is not the creation of the Jokers, but we're just kind of assuming that they're just like, you know burning down a, a cornfield or something and so now people don't have corn. I mean they're like <laughs> there's a loss of life aspect to this as well, you know. So is it like is it okay for you to let jokers kill off some people because eventually hmm. the society's gonna be better again. I think that's the bigger ethical dilemma. Right. So it's well, so it's kind of a social engineering argument yeah. than it is yeah. Yeah. anything else. Social Darwinism all But I think you know. I think right. on a on a social scale, as as cold as this may sound, on a social scale, loss of resources and loss of life are pretty much the same thing. They're they're both quantifiable yeah. um in their effects. Right. Um, which so, is, which is, but we have we have a sympathy toward loss of life certainly. in a way that we don't have a sympathy toward loss of resources. Well, the same sympathy. We have a different right. sympathy to loss of resources. When in fact somebody burns down my cornfield, you're going to feel bad for me. Yes, <laughs> but somebody murders your your son or something, you feel even worse. You yeah. feel even worse. Yeah, even though you still have your cornfield and can produce for a, a mm-hmm. ton of other people to have sons. Um, yeah, even if your son is murdered. 
you know, that's what yeah. I think. So, you know, we... So, yeah, well, maybe while this works out in a game theory sort of way, yeah. there's a lot more ethical issues. You know, do, do, do these equations take emotion into account? Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you predict cooperation of that respect? Yeah, it's a lot of... I'm sure... It's and so in that respect, as Batman is trying to stop someone from hurting other people, that is his goal. Yeah. It's right. it's almost a battle between uh, consequentialism and deontology. You know, the, again, the, yeah, uh, it, a lot of this goes back to ethics because you know Batman is fighting for the good, the just, the right. You know, standing up for the the oppressed or whatever, mm-hmm. and um, you know, not really thinking about consequences necessarily. Maybe right, the, maybe right. there are good consequences from what he does, but maybe there aren't. And the argument in this is, if you take the consequentialist point of view, if you believe the the, the way these scenarios flesh mm-hmm. out. You will favor having jokers and not the honor and justice and everything that, that Batman stands for. I'm a, if you brought the Punisher into play, you wouldn't have to worry about jokers anymore because he'd actually stop them. <laughs> yeah, but who punishes the Punisher? You know? He does. He does. Oh. Yeah. He self-flagellates? Well, I mean, the, yeah. under certain, the way, certain ways Frank Castle has been written, <laughs> um, he, <laughs> he knows that he's doing a terrible thing Yeah, and knows that once he is done... He should be killed for his actions hmm. and is accepting of that um, and knows that he deserves to be punished as much as everyone else he is punishing. Hmm. Um, another, another similar example would be the operative from uh, Serenity. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, he talks about, you know, I, I dream of a world where I no longer can survive, where I'm no longer needed. Right. Dreaming for that world that he would not be a part of. Hmm. Um, and aiming for that dream and be and accepting of that, yeah. And so you know, whereas whereas Batman has certain self-imposed limits in that respect, so that he does not have to be punished. So he he pulls himself back, like and, not killing anybody, like not killing. I mean, that's yeah. sort of what it is. That's sort of where he draws the line morally. Right. He says, "I will not kill." That thus, I am not like the Joker. Hmm. But again, you bring the Punisher to Gotham. Joker's yeah. dead in a week. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, it's it's fascinating stuff, uh, Kevin. You never got to make your point about fiscal conservatism. But, yeah, uh, um, if you can make don't it. Worry. In, I, mean, I, I can worries. give you a short version. Um, a public good is not what we think of a public good as. Okay. Um, and so, being fiscally conservative, I'm against fiscal spending, um, or I'm, I'm against liberal spending, liberal fiscalicity, mm-hmm. to make up a word. Um, when it is only under the guise of being for the public good, but is actually not a public good as the economics people call it. Economists, there's the word. Okay. Um, Because a public good is something that that has two factors. Um, It's non-exclusatory, meaning you can't keep people from benefiting from it, Mm -hmm. and it's something the market does not support. Mm -hmm. Um, And the, the quintessential example being the lighthouse, in that you cannot tell a ship not to look at a lighthouse once it's been built. Mm-hmm. Any ship coming near a coast is going to benefit from that lighthouse, so you can't exclude them from it, and there's not a way to profit from it. It's, lighthouses cannot be made profitable because, in part, of their non-exclusivity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the market doesn't support building lighthouses. Mm-hmm. But it's a really good idea to have lighthouses so our ships don't hit coasts. Yeah, it's a public good. It is yeah. better for the public for those to exist. Um, another great example, this one I'm stealing from Planet Money, mm-hmm. another better podcast than ours, <laughs> is autopsies. Hmm. 
uh, we learn so much from autopsies, but autopsies are suppressed by the market because they might find something that a doctor did wrong, thus opening those doctors to malpractice suits. And so doctors discourage autopsies unless it's a homicide. Hmm. Interesting. So, Kevin, I kind of have a question for you. Go for it. Um, I know you're either an anarchist or have anarchist leanings. Yes. So um, how would what you're saying here play out? I mean, usually when I hear this kind of argument, Mm -hmm. the caveat is it's actually happening within a status society as opposed to anarchist society. Would you agree with that? Um, Yeah, and... and I'd like to preface by saying that I'm I'm what I call a rational anarchist, which yeah. isn't full yeah, anarchy. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, right. yeah, and, and that's what, that's what you're saying. You're not a joker, and so that's yeah. sort of the idea is that um, if we do have a state society, if we do have a, a government of some sort, mm-hmm. the only things they should be funding are these things that everyone can benefit from non-exclusively and would not exist in an anarchist society. Hmm. Streetlights. Streetlights being another oh. similar example. Yeah. There's, there's not a way to profit off of a streetlight. Mm-hmm. Other than requiring everybody who lives on, the, on, a, on a street to pay a fee, and that's called taxation or robbery, depending <laughs> on which side of the government you're on. <laughs> yeah. The results are the same. If you don't pay, you go to jail or you get shot or there is punishment for not paying. Right. But right. in one case it's legal, in one case it isn't. Actually, NPR. Right. You mentioned you mentioned Planet Money, but NPR recently did a, a piece on um, towns that are starting to. Um, that was This American Life, yeah. Or This American Life, yeah. Um, privatize or collectivize mm-hmm. public goods like that. Um, yeah. Trash collection, right. park maintenance, even streetlights. Yes. You know where a city says, "Hey, you want a streetlight? Okay, pay us two hundred fifty. Pay us two hundred fifty dollars, like directly from you yeah. to the city." And we'll turn on that streetlight, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> yeah, and so now, of course, rich neighborhoods have streetlights. Poor neighborhoods mm-hmm. don't, which increases the crime rate. Which increase, you know. So. Yeah, exactly. But it's but again, a streetlight is non-exclusatory. Mm-hmm. Um, but then everybody on this on the in the neighborhood benefits from that streetlight, and maybe you know the maybe. other neighbors go, well, okay, so we've there are more people in streetlights in this neighborhood, so let's go and help these guys a couple of blocks over and pay for their streetlights. Potentially, lights, or know. they hey, say you know we had to pay called? for our streetlights, so yeah. those people have to pay for theirs. Yeah, yeah, which is the more there's, likely scenario. <laughs> there's a there's a freaking word for that. It's called taxes. <laughs> but no, but again, but I would say. For that we already have a system but that's that. but that's collective well, action not without yeah. taxes that that's not saying the word is i would say the word is virtue so virtue is i'm going to be virtuous enough to make sure that this poor neighborhood has street lights you know there's nothing that says a business can't do that it's just that we have this idea that businesses are only about the bottom line they're only mm-hmm. about greed and they don't necessarily have to be that right no but i i, I think it would you know there there are a lot of um there are a lot of efforts to kind of uh collectivize and reform government um one one thing that i would encourage our listeners and and y'all too to look into if you haven't is uh, code for america um which encourages yeah. the same sort of innovation and uh new ideas and creativity that's in the technology sector in the political sector and and uh, if you want to a quick uh, go through of what Code for America is about and the kind of stuff they do. There is a TED Talk 
mm-hmm. up on TED.com yep. about Code for America. So, and uh, it's cool stuff. I mean, it's like they have on their on their website, Adopt a Hydrant. This this really neat app that was coded in like an afternoon that um, lets lets somebody uh, take responsibility for digging their fire hydrant out of the snow when it gets snowed in so that mm-hmm. when a fire truck comes along they don't have to spend 10 minutes digging out the fire hydrant to connect up to it before you know as this house is burning they can just connect up to it and, and help fight the fire um which you know that was i never thought about that as a problem because because you live in austin i live in austin <laughs> texas yeah uh, but i don't know it, it's uh, I, I like the idea it's and- it's I'm all for this, like, by the way. Like, I'm all for mm-hmm. other people helping each other because I think that's what we as human beings should do. Right. And um, that's one right. of my definitions of, of the right way to be. One of the lines from the TED Talk is, is at, it, at its yeah. core, the, one of the, the core ideas of government is that which we do together that we cannot do alone. Mm-hmm. But the, the difference is, and, the, and here's, here's, again, where I draw the distinction, mm-hmm. when it's at the point of a gun, and every government right. action is at the point of a gun, yeah. you are now being unethical and immoral. Right. right. Because you are forcing right. somebody to do it upon pain of death. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that you can, right. you can, they come after you if you don't pay your taxes, yeah. right? But, but the, the, indirect, the indirect harm is harder for people to perceive. It's sort of like, okay, now you, you say, say every public good is now, is now privatized or collectivized, Right. Everything, fire, mm-hmm. um, fire service, police service, uh, you know, child protective services, everything, right? So that these things that you may not ever need, like if I never have a kid, I'm never going to have a concern about child protective services, right? Yes. You know, maybe if nobody does, right? Not true. But, well, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's keep it simple for now, though. But this service that I myself would never need, I don't feel like I should pay for, Right. So if only the people that need it pay for it, that service may not ever come about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- so all the that- people too poor to have health care should band together and pay for their own health care that they're too poor to afford. Honestly, by- yeah, under this <laughs> argument, Kiki, yes. Yeah, I mean uh, that's, that's the argument, <laughs> right? So it obviously works with some things, but not with others. And it's it's usually those big, broad services yeah. that we've come to see as sort of the the purview of government where it tends to break down. Healthcare the, is also not a public good by the econo- economics definition, right? Because it's you know, totally exclusory. Mm-hmm. Well, I would be totally okay with with a more localized, you know, version of that where you have you have sort of um, local, oh, almost like. Um, you know the credit union idea of banks is starting to catch on, and mm-hmm. I really like yeah, those, it because it, it decentralizes um, finance and banking, and I think it's it's extremely good um, a way, approach to that. And that healthcare needs to kind of go that route; it needs to be very decentralized. You know, the fact that we have all these central healthcare right, providers right. is is horrible. And I and I think if it were down to like a local or even a neighborhood level again, but you but empowered by technology because we have that way of going well let's let's put up a bulletin board for people to go hey you know i have this certain medical need or i have this certain civic need um who can help me with this who has this particular skill who has a doctor they can refer me to for this one particular service or who can come over and clean out my trash or you know dig a ditch for me because i'm i'm infirm or something like that you know and and empowering people to help each other that way and Rather than making it about the I, government having to come down and help you, mm-hmm. which is a very slow. And I still believe process. that as humans, 
we have a moral duty to do those things. An indirect duty, right. as as uh, I, I think, what, what would I that mean, be? Well, that wasn't Kant. Well, Kant talked about possibly, that. Possibly, but, but I, I mean, yeah. you know... You do it sometime. It's not that you have to do it right now, but at some point you it have is, to contribute. Yeah. A, a compassionate person will be doing these things. Right. Um, right. Should be doing these things. But again, once you force them to do it, you're Indirect removing... Indirect obligation, uh, John Stuart Mill. Okay, good. Yeah. Now we know. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're taking compassion out of it because I'm saying, Stephen, if you don't pay for these people's health care... I'm going to shoot you. Yes, that's right. a direct obligation. And that's, that's like that's not well. You should pay taxes not at compassion. some point in your life. It's no on this mm-hmm. on this day you are required to pay this amount exactly mm-hmm. for these services, etc. Et yeah, et and so then that's forth. tax code. Yeah, well, that's, okay. So nobody should also... pay rent. Nobody should pay. I mean, that's no, doing okay. It well, the we're now we're getting of a gun. no that's rent is you, you rent, rent is a voluntary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, rent is a voluntary contract, though. Both yes. parties enter into it willingly. That's now you're getting away from civic to to a private business, right? The 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 whole business of housing, right, mm-hmm. is is a private contract. And there is you. public housing, the which end. has problems as well. Ooh, yeah. But in the in a in a privately owned renter situation, renter mm-hmm. rentee situation, you both agree to a contract with certain stipulations. You yes. don't go into that contract unwillingly. Mm-hmm. So, well, you know, you know it, I can always be homeless. That's fine. <laughs> yes, but is that any is that is that society's fault to deal with that, right? Or or does it does it become well? Well, maybe, I'm just saying that's, that's maybe the, you that's, you need a house, right? So the problem is not that society, you know that, I need to live in a country, and I would like to live in a country that doesn't suck. So I'm going to pay money. So that the country hopefully doesn't suck by providing services that need to be provided that the free market cannot provide. But in, I but I wonder because here's the thing: look at look at services like like get around. Look at services like um, Airbnb. You know, pl- places that that are built specifically to connect people with with unused resources to people with to people who need those resources. Get around does it with cars. Free I cycle. Have, I have a car. Yeah, I have a car that I don't use six days out of seven of a week. So I I put it on get around, and somebody can use my car. Right. That that would that and does you know not what? own a maybe, car for use. Maybe as as technology evolves. Then all of these might become really, really good. I think. You know, no, here's the thing. Really, I think really we're good. already there. I think the technology is I already there. I don't think the technology is necessary. Um, it makes I mean, it a lot easier. I mean, in, in, you can look at, and here's an example I got from from watching Bizarre Foods. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sikh religion, or Sikh, as it's sometimes said in America, mm-hmm. they have a moral duty, according to their religion. To feed anybody who needs who needs to be fed at their temples, hmm. you can go to one of the, and temple may not be the right word. I'm I'm again I watch this on <laughs> Bizarre Foods, but it stuck yeah. with me. Um, you can go to one of their workplaces of worship, and they will serve you three meals a day, no questions asked, because it is their moral duty to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, nobody's forcing them to do that. Their their religion, you could say, is forcing them to do that. But I would argue they're entering that religion voluntarily mm-hmm. and have the right. choice of leaving. I know, I saw that too. Um, and so again, and, and and oftentimes, the better religions, who are who the more successful religions, I say, are the ones who do this, who are compassionate and giving freely, regardless of belief system. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, the secular humanists do this a lot of times, right. mm-hmm. um, and they don't believe in anything. 
other than being nice to people. Right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that's sort of the idea is, but it should be freely given, not forcibly taken. Yes. And, and again, this, this sort of, it, it, gets, it brings us right back around because these systems work when you have majority cooperators. But when you start getting uh, more defectors in there, yeah. when you start getting jokers in there, when you start getting people like, and it happened to Airbnb actually, when you start getting a person who goes in and just trashes a place, mm-hmm. you know, renting it, it, it lowers the credibility of that uh, style of providing the service in the eyes of everyone. Yeah. But at the same time, it also makes those services stronger. Airbnb came out of the, the, the scandal where, where someone, you know, there was no insurance. Like if someone rented your, your house through Airbnb, um, you didn't have any, you were, you, were, you were liable for any damages that they caused. They, they now have like a $10,000 liability protection, the same way that eBay sort of has uh, mm-hmm. seller protection and things like that. So there's a little bit of a, there's a way that the service kind of collectively provides a safety net to uh, guard against the occasional joker. The, and the, the same way that, that we have that safety net for people who, who are, are harmed by that, uh, you know, individual random acts of violence and things like that. You know, we, we have ways of kind of absorbing those things while at the same time making all of society better. You know, we're still getting better at it. I, I think these are interesting problems to consider, but it's it all comes back to that idea of, you know, going forward, to what extent are we going to take collective action? How are we going to do that? How can we do that better than the government is doing it right now? Because government's not right. doing it very well. <laughs> you know? right. So let's take it upon ourselves to use technology to, to do it in a cool way. Mm-hmm. Well, we we could we could go on this for a long time, uh, but let's uh, let's kind of conclude things here with the uh, with the form squeeze. We have a few new questions, and they're they're fun ones. Um, I'll put this this first one to, uh, to to Matt first here. What is your favorite? And this favorite with you, uh, so it's obviously coming from overseas or Canada or Canada. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite green colored object? Just any green colored object. <laughs> oh my. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that. Uh, Think about it for a second. Kiki, do you have an answer? <laughs> I, I do have an answer. Okay. Kermit the Frog. Oh, that's, good. Uh, that's good. Kermit, you brew. I'll, I do a better I'll say my Kermit. son's Lego pail just because it's right in front of me. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's good dad touching. answer. Yeah. Um,. For me, it would definitely have to be trees because, God, they're gorgeous and they're everywhere. And I wish we had more of them. So, Kevin? I'm struggling with this one. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of things I own that are green. Um, here's one. Um, I don't know if it's my absolute favorite, but it's definitely top ten. My very first car, which was, in fact, a mint green minivan. Yeah, a, uh, Ford a minty Windstar. van, if you will. Yes, a uh, Ford <laughs> Windstar. <laughs> Uh, that I loved dearly until I totaled um, oh, no. and miss even That's still. Sad. Oh, did you crash it in the mountains? So it was like no, no winter I, fresh I mint. Rear-ended somebody <laughs> Wreck. on okay. a rainy road. Okay, uh, good one. Okay, I'll, I'll update these answers afterwards. But um, next one: if making a cocktail or mocktail, I've never heard the of mocktail that. is a cocktail without alcohol. Oh, okay, with no limits on ingredients whatsoever. What would be in it, 
and what would it be called? I got an answer for this one. Okay. Um, this is this is my current beverage of choice <laughs> since I've tried to be, I've been trying to go relatively low carb recently. Okay. So I've kind of eschewed beer. I still drink it occasionally when I'm doing a bad philosophy because mm-hmm. I'm not that dedicated. But um, my new beverage of choice is what I call vanilla thunder, <laughs> and it is made nice. with um, three parts diet. Dr. Pepper. Okay. Or uh, nice. Dr. Thunder if you're buying it from Walmart, which is where the name comes <laughs> right. from. Um, to uh, one part vanilla vodka. So it's like a, a diet. It tastes a lot like vanilla Dr. Pepper. Except it's Except alcoholic. it has vodka in it, so nice. it, it's effectively alcoholic. Okay. I, you know... I would... Go ahead, Matt. Oh, I would go with the Irish Blessing, which is... Coffee, Baileys, and Jack Daniels. Woo-hoo! Some scotch or whatever. <laughs> See, we're talking about, like, existing drinks. I yeah. like, I, I mean, Kevin, you had, that's probably, that probably exists. That's just Yeah, project. someone else has probably done that. Yeah. No, the, I don't know the, if it hasn't. What was the last one What would you have the name for it? Oh, it was the Jeff McKenzie. It's the Jeff McKenzie. I named it after Jeff McKenzie because okay. he's an inspiration. Um, <laughs> you should follow him on Twitter. Yeah, he's, he doesn't tweet often, but when he does, you're glad he did. Yep. Um... What was in it? It was called the Jeff McKenzie, and it was absolutely deliciously disgusting. Okay. Um, it was butterscotch schnapps, orange juice concentrate, oh. Oh, and that God. may have been it. There may <laughs> oh, have been God. one other thing in it, but I think those were the two primary ingredients. Just the concentrate, not like... Yeah, well, you use the concentrate to cool down the schnapps, oh. and, it all, and you mix it all up, and it's... Ugh. I mean, if I were to make it again, I would probably add some Sprite, like, you know, <laughs> something to make to it a little, it thinner, yeah. a little thinner. No, thin it out with vodka. <laughs> oh. But no, I think, I think the original Jeff McKenzie may have just been those two things. Wow. Because those are the two things I had in my fridge at the time. <laughs> I had orange juice concentrate. You mean that Jeff had it in his fridge at the time? No, I made it first. I oh. just named it after him. Okay, gotcha. Right. Um, because he's an inspiration. Yes. Um... <laughs> Well, I asked, what, I asked him what I should name it, and he said name it after me. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I was okay. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. I feel like there was a third thing in it, though. Love. Maybe, but I remember I made it in a, in a tall, skinny glass, and I stuck the spoon and I mixed it all up. A cherry. <laughs> An umbrella. An umbrella would be good. Yeah. But, yeah, that was, I was getting desperate. And I know I had the, the orange juice concentrate because I made an orange honey glaze for turkey that Thanksgiving. Mm. That's what led eventually to the... Dis- I don't know why I had butterscotch schnapps, though. <laughs> How do you spell schnapps again? S-C-H-N-A-P-P-S. P-P-S. Butterscotch. The Jeff McKenzie. The Jeff McKenzie. Is that uh, just M-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E? M-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E, yeah. Yep. No, K-I-N. K-I-N? Jeff McKenzie, yeah. M- McKenzie. Mc- M-C, capital K-I-N-Z-I-E. Yep. Cool. Um, And the final question, which I'll just pose to anyone who feels like answering it. um, Why do you think I'm asking this question? Because you can. Okay. Because you're curious. Because you're curious. The final, final question. The form squeeze question of the day. The form squeeze question of the day, uh, which is, do you forgive or hold a grudge? Kiki? Um, I hold a grudge and then eventually forgive. 
Okay. <laughs> Grudge first, forgiveness later when I'm bored. Matt? Yeah, that's usually the process. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess I, I just generally forgive. Yeah. You know. Schmuck. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm the same way. I try to be forgiving first. I'm not always successful. I'm not always successful, but I try and be forgiving first. <laughs> um, I don't know the last grudge I had. Hmm. I probably had one. That's yeah. actually a good point. Yeah. Um, if you can't remember it, you, you're you're in good shape. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you all for being on. Uh, went a little bit longer than usual, but that's, that's not, okay. No it was problem. good. Good discussion. Yeah, I think we've we've I kept it. the anarchy. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's good though. That does a nice little side thing. Um, so, Matt, thank you so much for for coming on the show uh, for the first yeah, time. Thank you. Uh, where can people follow you on the interwebs? Well, I've been working on that. The closest thing I have right now is I've got a blog with one blog entry on it. Cool. Okay. Uh, <laughs> which is. Uh, Oh, crud. Come on. Remember your own blog, Matthew. Kevin is, is uh, holding his fingers anxiously over the keyboard. <laughs> it is, uh... Oh, gosh. Aesthetic Amusement. I can't uh, spell aesthetic. S-T-H-E-T-I-C. Aesthetic Amusement.wordpress.com? Yes. Okay. Should totally use thumb, Tumblr. Thumblr. I almost said Tumblr. <laughs> Tumblr is terrible, but we'll tell you why later. Okay. Um, aesthetic amusement at. I probably typed word. it wrong. Oh, it did gave you? me a better one. Ooh, nice theme. Mary and Max laughing and crying in an ultimately meaningless world. <laughs> I want to watch this. Then. I'm down. Okay. Cool. I came across a WordPress the other day that was using the same theme as we do for. Oh, really? Cool. The. the Bad yeah. Philosophy. Well, if you do a search for the the line that appears at the bottom of our of our website, you'll find all of them. <laughs> um, and it's, it's you I just ran now. across it randomly the other day. No, there's a lot of free themes out there. Yeah, if you search for "designed by Fresh01" uh, on on uh, Google, you'll find like there are there are dozens of sites that that use our our theme. Okay. Um, but you know, it's. It, I think we we vary it up with the with the banner at the top, so it's it's yeah. our own thing. We've we've customized it enough, and every site has different content anyway. So, well, maybe Fresho One has designed a lot of themes. I don't know. Well, uh, Kiki, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, Voice of Kiki, wherever you may be, that's <laughs> where I am. Wherever better search engines probably. Are um, yeah. Kevin, you are? Kevsond. Twitter.com slash Kevsond. K-E-V-S-A-U-N-D. And where can people follow Jeff McKenzie, by the way, since we've heard so much about uh, Twitter.com him? Twitter.com slash JeffyMac. J-E-F-F-Y-M-A-C. Gotcha. I think it's a little weird that he puts an A in the Jeffy Mac when he doesn't actually have one in his name. Right. But it's just, you know, it he's works. He's that kind of guy. <laughs> he's an inspiration. Um, you can, of course, follow me on Twitter.com slash S-Torrence, S-T-O-R-R-E-N-C-E. Follow the show at facebook.com slash badphilosophy. You can like us, comment on us. And uh, if you post a, a thoughtful enough response, you might even come on the show. Um, <laughs> Matt, have you enjoyed your time here? I have. Thank cool. you for having me on. Well, you're, you're welcome to, to come back anytime you feel, uh, you feel the need. So. Cool. Um, keep me posted. Will do. And uh, any of you all out there, this should encourage you to engage a little bit more. We know you're listening, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. So tell us about it. 
Um, I, I don't know you're listening. Oh, right. Let me know you're listening because oh, I really have my doubts. Also, we did a we did a shout out to uh, to one of our fans on Twitter last week and uh, had a nice little back and forth. Who who was it that uh, replied uh, to us on Twitter? I don't know because my search went out. I'm pulling but, um, up uh, pulling up my, profes- my professional there. blur was her Twitter handle. Permanent blur. Permanent blur. Permanent, permanent underscore blur. Permanent. Kylie. Permanent. Uh, Plumberdermerdu. So yeah, you can also reply to us on on uh, Twitter if that's. Yeah. Uh... I've I've actually <laughs> always got like um, as my fourth tweet deck column the search for bad philosophy is one word. Right. <laughs> so even people who aren't tweeting about us but use the hashtag bad philosophy, you still see it him shows in... up. You have access to the account, right? So you can. Yeah, I do, but I haven't I haven't set it up that. in my tweet tweet deck. You really do that. Um, Anyways. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap things up then. Um, we thank you all, all for listening, and uh, we hope that uh, that you turn out to be a, uh, a cooperator. Uh, but, you know, if you're a defector or a joker, that's okay, because you may actually be necessary to the very function of society. So we'll see you <laughs> next time on Bad Philosophy. <laughs> अपने यही दोनों जहां इसके You are in the US, right? Because there was another Rodolfo yeah. on here that was in uh, Zurich, Switzerland, so Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not just some yeah. random guy that was like, oh BF, that sounds fun. <laughs> Who are these people? <laughs> what what are we doing? <laughs> Of course, I'll join your conversation. <laughs> That's great. When was well, that? Meanwhile, the other guy's like, "Why the hell haven't they called you?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, we yeah. <clears throat> Bro, bro, yeah, bro, yeah, philosophy. Philosophy.com. I tuned you out for like 10 seconds. Okay.